Hey friends, I'm Michael, host of the Murder Mile UK True Crime Podcast. I would be delighted if you joined me every Thursday for a walk through the untold, unsolved and long-forgotten murders of London's West End. Featuring hundreds of fascinating true crime tales you won't hear anywhere else. If you're looking for something different, the award-winning and highly acclaimed Murder Mile UK True Crime Podcast is researched using the original police files. It's presented as a dramatization. Each episode is crafted as a labor of love, and it focuses on the victims' lives in an honest, detailed, and sympathetic way. Season five has just begun, so why not treat yourself to more than 150 episodes? If that sounds like your cup of tea, search for the Murder Mile UK True Crime Podcast. Thank you. This podcast contains some strong themes which are not for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. In the early hours of the 9th of September 2000, Angelina called the Montebello Police Department. She told them they needed to come to her home immediately. She had found her husband, Frank, lying face down on a carpet in the middle of the bedroom. Officers arrived and Angelina led them through the bedroom, where they found Frank on his front, with blood coming from his nose. This is Red Rum, a podcast focusing on the true victims of crime. Episode 27, Frank Rodriguez. With many thanks to Jill for her help with this episode. Jose Francisco Rodriguez was born in 1959 in rural Illinois and spent his childhood playing sports with his one older sibling and helping to guide and teach his four younger siblings. He played football to begin with, but quickly turned his focus onto baseball, where he had a real talent. He was the big brother who helped out and offered advice wherever needed, but never missed out on playing pranks on all of his siblings. Everyone called him Frank. He enjoyed playing hard and working hard, and after graduating high school, he decided to enlist in the Navy. It wasn't long before he met and married a woman who he'd met by chance locally. However, the young love and quick marriage didn't balance well with Frank's hectic and busy job. The relationship couldn't cope and the couple divorced. After the divorce... Frank decided he needed a whole lifestyle shift and that included leaving the Navy and changing careers. He joined a Pentecostal church as well as quitting drinking and smoking. After a few short-lived work placements, Frank was offered a job as a special education teacher at Angel Gate Academy in California. The job was on a partnership programme of the California National Guard and the Los Angeles Unified School District, 
which was a basic training camp for troubled 6th and 7th graders, which hosted district students at camp for a month. Frank loved the job and was a natural with the children. He excelled and progressed quickly. Whilst Frank was finding his feet and working his way up in the academy, he met a colleague, Angelina. Angelina was a single mother of a little girl called Autumn. She was a doting mother and hard worker, with long brown hair and large piercing eyes. Frank and Angelina began dating, and their relationship progressed at incredible speed. Things were intense and all-consuming, but Frank knew Angelina was his soulmate. Angelina had had a rough childhood and Frank became her rock. She grew up in Rockaway Beach in New York and shared a house with her older sister Gigi and their grandfather. Angelina confided in Frank early on that her grandfather had not treated her well. He had molested her from a young age and all through high school. When she was a teenager, unable to deal with the trauma of the previous few years, Angelina attempted suicide. She told Frank that after that attempt, she learned she was pregnant with her grandfather's child and aborted it immediately. Frank was devastated for her, but assured her that he would be there for her always. They were soulmates and would be together for the rest of their lives. He would help her deal with her trauma in the best way possible and be her support in whatever way she needed. Angelina was grateful to have such a kind, understanding partner. She had been troubled with failed relationships before, with men that just didn't suit her or support her in a way that she needed. In 1987, Angelina had married a man named Hector after just a few months of knowing one another. The marriage didn't last, similarly to Frank's previous marriage. However, unlike Frank, Angelina did meet and marry her next partner, Tom, who she met when she enlisted in the Air Force in Colorado. She and Tom had a longer marriage and had a baby girl, Autumn, The family were happy and things were progressing every day. They decided to have another baby, another girl who they called Alicia. However, Alicia was born prematurely with an abnormally slow heart and the couple worried what the future would hold for her. Sometime in late 1992, Tom, Angelina and the two girls Autumn and Alicia travelled on vacation to Michigan. Whilst there, they visited a restaurant for dinner and a woman approached them. She said she was sorry to interrupt, but she needed to warn them that she was pretty sure the pacifier, or dummy for us Brits, that was in Alicia's mouth was part of a recall from the company Gerber. In March 1993, 
Gerber had voluntarily recalled that type of pacifier based on five consumer reports that it had separated into three pieces. Tom and Angelina thanked the stranger and took the pacifier away, making a note to check and buy some new ones if they needed to. Unfortunately, a truly horrific tragedy struck one afternoon a number of months later in September, when Angelina made her way into baby Alicia's room and found her in her crib, choking. Panic-stricken, Angelina checked to see what had happened. She noticed that the pacifier had broken into a few pieces and panicked that one of the pieces could have gotten lost and lodged in Alicia's throat. She immediately called emergency services and waited outside for them to arrive. Firefighter David Mandeville arrived and hurried inside to find Alicia. He managed to remove a piece of plastic from her throat. It was the rubber nipple part of the pacifier. He then started CPR. Deputy Sheriff Ginter arrived and comforted Angelina. He found the pacifier backing in the crib and the rubber nipple on the floor of Alicia's room. He accompanied the mother and daughter on their way to the hospital. Paramedics tried to continue life-saving efforts, but were unable to save Alicia. Angelina asked Deputy Sheriff Ginter if she could have the plastic pacifier backing. She wanted to keep it. It had caused her daughter's death and she was going to make the manufacturer pay. She couldn't let this happen to another child. Alicia's autopsy was carried out by pathologist Dr Wallace Carroll, who determined she had died of asphyxiation due to airway obstruction. She choked to death. After Alicia had died... Angelina and Thomas asked a local attorney if there was anything they could do to ensure this never happened again. Their attorney filed a lawsuit on their behalf against Gerber for Alicia's wrongful death due to the failure of the company's pacifier. Angelina said that she had checked the pacifier when she first received it to make sure there were no cracks or evidence of wearing and that every week she pulled the pacifier's bulb to test it. He presented the pacifier that had killed Alicia, which at this point was in two separate pieces. The attorney sent both of those pieces to Dr. Naus, who was a professor at the California Institute of Technology, for examination. However, the attorney and the couple were dissatisfied with Dr. Naus's report, so sent the pieces on to Dr. Hamed, a professor at the University of Akron, for a second opinion. In March of 1996, Gerber settled the lawsuit and paid a total of $710,000 to cover the attorney's costs, and Angelina received 60% of what was remaining whilst Thomas received 40%. Angelina was granted 20% more because she had been present at Alicia's death and suffered severe emotional trauma. The strain of the death of their youngest daughter was too much for the couple, and they divorced soon after. 
heartbroken and lonely, Angelina met and married a third man called Dom after knowing him just under a year. However, again, that relationship didn't last and the couple divorced. But when Angelina met Frank, she knew things were different. There was something that pulled the two of them together. Frank called them soulmates and Angelina agreed. The couple decided to make things official and got married on the 8th of April 2000. By this time, Angelina's daughter Autumn was nine years old and Frank took her into his home as if she was his own. Frank had always wanted a family and this was the start for him. The couple's work at Angel Gate was short-lived purely because of the nature of the camp, but Frank's glowing recommendations landed him a job teaching special education at Los Angeles Unified Middle School. So the couple, along with Autumn, moved to Montebello. Montebello is located in the southwestern area of the San Gabriel Valley, east of downtown Los Angeles. The couple set up their home in the 800 block of Marconi Street and quickly got to know their neighbours. They enjoyed the parks, golf courses and greenery right on their doorstep. The next-door neighbour grew large nerium oleander bushes outside of their front yards. The shrubs grew in clusters of colourful white, pink and red flowers and was a welcome view for their new homely street. One of the couple's neighbours, who Angelina became friendly with, was Palmyra Gorham. The two would often have coffee or occasionally a glass of wine on a warm evening. One day, whilst Angelina was at Palmyra's house, Loran Moranes, Palmyra's nephew, came in to say hello as he was passing. He had just been released from jail on the 17th of July. With each time Angelina went to visit Palmyra, she would often run into Loran. Something began to grow between them, and they began an affair. Loran was thrilled to be involved with someone who saw him as a normal person, not just an ex-convict. Angelina really seemed to appreciate him and understand who he was. Angelina was, of course, still married to Frank, and he was off working during term time at the middle school. The couple had only been married for a little over three months, but things were already fraught and difficult. The stresses they were under had all stemmed from something that had happened at the couple's previous place of work, at Angel Gate Academy. Frank had left his job there because of a number of reasons, one being the short-term nature, but also because he had blown a whistle on somebody who he had suspected of inappropriate behaviour with some of the students. This alleged abuse had happened to one or more of the students, and Frank had told the higher-ups. Someone was fired, and other people were reassigned, and the entire teaching body had shifted. 
Angelina worried that there was some animosity towards Frank over that and it had completely changed their lives. Sometime during the summer break from schooling, Frank was at home with Angelina when he began to feel a little unwell. He told Angelina and she asked if he'd eaten anything funny. He had only eaten the same as her over the last few days, but he wondered if the milk had gone off in a milkshake he'd had a few hours earlier. Angelina said she checked the milk before she made it and it was fine, but she couldn't think of what else it might be. Unless it had something to do with the stress of the last few days. Frank had been invited back to Angel Gate Academy to act as a chaperone for a little while. The couple had argued about him going back because of the danger Angelina perceived he may be in, but Frank insisted he wanted to return. He loved the job he'd previously had and thought it would be a good idea. Despite Angelina's worry, when Frank returned that evening, he told her everything had gone well and he'd been welcomed back with smiles and open arms by everyone. Things seemed to calm down over the following month and with the new term at middle school ready to start back and Labor Day weekend just around the corner, Angelina and Frank decided to have a relaxed time at home running errands and getting things sorted for the following term. On Sunday the 3rd of September, Frank noticed what he thought to be the smell of gas. He checked the upper level of the house but couldn't find anything that would suggest a gas leak. Nonetheless, he decided to continue looking and as he made his way through the home and to the connecting garage, he realised the gas smell was even stronger there. He called the Southern California Gas Company to report the leak, and soon after, the service technician Louie arrived. He looked around, and as he approached the garage, he also noticed the unmistakable smell of gas. As he investigated further, he located two different leaks in the garage. One was behind the clothes dryer and one was on the water heater. The humidity was high and Louis determined that the valve fitting on the dryer was very loose. Louis managed to fix the problem with ease and advised it was unlikely to happen again. Just two days later, on Tuesday the 5th of September, Frank hopped on a local bus and returned to Angel Gate Academy. He had been called in last minute as a chaperone for the students who were participating in the programme, and because of that, his name wasn't placed on the list of teachers who were coming that was given to employees at the academy. Even so, everything went smoothly and Frank dropped the students off at the academy at the end of the day and then made his way back home. By Thursday that week, Frank complained to Angelina of stomach pains. By the afternoon, he had actually started vomiting and had diarrhoea. Frank was in so much pain that he had to be rushed to the emergency room at Kaiser Hospital in Baldwin Park. The doctor wrote down that Frank should drink a lot of fluids and specifically, quote, 
drink Gatorade as rehydration, unquote. Angelina had to sign the instructions stating that she had received them as she would be in charge of helping Frank get back to full health. The doctor then discharged Frank. Angelina's daughter Autumn, who was living in Montebello with her mother and Frank, saw how unwell he was. She wanted to help in any way she could, so she made sure she was on hand to provide liquids whenever he needed. She treated him with warm, nourishing soup, as well as Gatorade, as the doctor had recommended. In the early hours of September the 9th, 2000, Angelina called the Montebello Police Department. She told them they needed to come to her home immediately. She had found her husband, Frank, lying face down on a carpet in the bedroom. Officers arrived and Angelina led them through to the bedroom, where they found Frank on his front, dead, with blood coming from his nose. Officer Sharp couldn't detect any apparent reason for Frank's death. The blood that had come from his nose was minimal, and an autopsy would need to be performed to determine exactly what had happened. Angelina told officers that Frank was only 41 years old and had been in good health. After Frank's death, his mother called round to the family to let them know. It was difficult because the family had no answers at this point. They didn't know how Frank had died and they didn't even really know what had happened in the days and weeks prior to his death. Frank's sister, Rebecca, called Angelina and asked what she thought had happened, and she responded that he drank too much. Rebecca thought about this as a possibility, but dismissed it early on, because she knew Frank didn't really drink alcohol. Angelina informed her that Frank had been unwell on the Wednesday and Thursday before she took him into hospital on the Friday. She went on to say that he had probably died of some kind of stomach infection. Angelina decided to share even more information with Rebecca when she called back later. She informed her that she thought, quote, the people at the Angel Gate Academy gave him cookies and Gatorade that killed him, unquote. When Rebecca asked why anyone at Angel Gate would want to kill him, Angelina said that when she left, it wasn't on good terms, and therefore they didn't like Frank and wanted to kill him, but she didn't go into any further detail with Rebecca. In a conversation with another of Frank's sisters, Shirley, Angelina gave some more details about what she thought had happened. She said that an officer at Angel Gate Academy called Chad had killed Frank when he'd gone there for a meeting shortly before he'd fallen ill. She added that the officer had put some kind of poison in Frank's cookies and Gatorade. Shirley was confused. She knew why Chad might have it in for Frank, but she didn't understand why he'd go to the extent of killing him, or even how he would do it. It couldn't be that easy to get hold of poison, but Angelina told her Chad would have made it easy. He could have spiked his tea with oleander 
an easily attainable poisonous plant that was readily available in California. On the morning of the 19th of September, both Shirley and Angelina were riding in a limousine on the way to Frank's funeral when Angelina pointed out to Shirley what she meant. There was an oleander bush on the side of the road. They were all over the city. She went on to say that she wanted to cremate Frank so that she could sprinkle his ashes on a beach that was their favourite place to go. But she later said it might be better if Frank had a military burial. On the 26th of September, just a week later, Frank's mother Janet told Sergeant Holmes that she believed Frank may have been intentionally poisoned with oleander. Detectives informed the coroner's office, but at that time, very few laboratories performed tests for oleander, and so they hadn't been able to conduct one. Angelina, more than anyone, was desperate to find out what had caused her husband's death. She believed there was foul play involved. Frank's family believed there was foul play involved, and now the police were beginning to question if Frank was in fact murdered. Investigators explained to Angelina that the coroner's office had been unable to determine the cause of death and that they needed to know what to look for as a possible poison. They stressed that if they knew what the poison might have been, then they could test for it. The Los Angeles County Coroner's Office toxicologist stated that the results of the initial toxicology report had been negative except for the presence of a normal amount of opioid pain medication. The toxicologist also said that you can't do a blanket test for all possible poisons. You have to test specifically. Angelina told officers she believed that a man at Angelgate called Charles Chad Holloway, known as Chad, had poisoned Frank. She told them Chad had previously said, quote, If anyone jeopardises my job, I will kill them. He looked at Frank and he went, pow, right, I mean dead on, eye to eye, unquote. She said after Frank had been to Angelgate just a few days before his death, he told her, quote, They were great. They walked up to me, they hugged me, they, you know, they said they missed me. And somebody in the office said, and he didn't say who, I think he knew I'd be pissed off. He said somebody in the office said, am I hungry or thirsty? And gave me Gatorade and cookies. Unquote. Detectives caught a break when, at around 9am on the 19th of October, Sergeant Holmes received a call from Angelina. She told them she had just received a disturbing call. Sergeant Holmes told Angelina he needed to return to the office so he could give her his full attention and said he'd call her right back. Soon after, Sergeant Holmes arrived at his office and dialed Angelina's number. Angelina said that just after 8am that morning, her cell phone had rung. The caller ID was blocked, but when she answered, a man told her that he had talked with Chad Holloway and been told... Quote, they can't pin me. The caller then went on to tell Angelina she needed to ask them about antifreeze. They then hung up 
and she had no idea how the person had managed to get her phone number or who the caller was. Sergeant Holmes asked the coroner's office to check for antifreeze as a possible poison. On the 12th of December, one of the detectives called Angelina to let her know that they were going to question Chad about the case. The following day, Chad called Angelina. He asked her why she told police that he'd poisoned Frank with antifreeze. Angelina responded that Chad needed to talk with investigators. She then hung up and sent a 911 page to Sergeant Holmes. He called her and she told him that Chad had just called her and that he'd said, quote, well, they'll never be able to catch me anyway and you better watch your back, unquote. Investigators told Angelina that the toxicology results had come in and they showed that there was a fatal amount of ethylene glycol in Frank's system. This chemical component is poisonous and found in antifreeze. It's often a clear choice for poisoning because it tends to taste sweet so can easily be disguised. Angelina hoped this would be the evidence they needed to put Chad away, but investigators told her there was a lack of evidence that Chad had known in advance that Frank would be coming to Angel Gate Academy on the 5th of September. They added that poisoning requires a lot of planning, and his defence would argue it would have been highly improbable that he would just have had the poison on him all along. They stressed that it was important for them to gain evidence that Chad knew Frank would be there. Angelina said that when she worked in the admin department at Angel Gate, she would receive a fax saying who was scheduled to be present in the near future. Around a month later, Sergeant Holmes received an anonymous fax that said, quote, Urgent, Detective Holmes, I mailed this to you. Why is Chad still free? Thought maybe you did not get it. Here it is again. Unquote. The following few pages were a printed document concerning a faculty orientation at Angel Gate Academy, which included Frank's name. A little while later, Sergeant Holmes received an envelope at work containing the same printed document with a note attached. For reference, Sergeant Holloway is Chad and Sergeant Rodriguez is Frank. Quote, I found this in 2nd Platoon's locker in Sergeant Holloway's papers. I figure this is how he knew Sergeant Rodriguez was coming to SLO. I hope this helps fry the bastard. Unquote. Just a few days later, Investigators drove to Angelina's new house, around three hours away from Montebello. Whilst driving there, they received a page from her, so Sergeant Holmes called her back. He told her about the facts and said they still needed to know where it had come from. Angelina said she wouldn't know, but did ask whether they were going to arrest Chad. Quote, I'd like to see the expression on his face. Unquote. Detectives Steinwand and Sergeant Holmes made their way to Angelina's house. There is a moment when one of the officers talks about Holloway, so just a reminder he's referring to Chad 
Holloway. The suspect, Angelina, is sure murdered Frank. The date today is what? Today's date is February 7th. Morning. 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 How's it going today? Okay. We got a little problem though. Angelina, did, did you give Frank in for this? No, I didn't. I love my husband. I would not do that. Let's think about this a second. You're the only person with him. You're taking care of him. You're feeding him and giving him liquids to drink. I didn't. It's important to be I, honest and truthful. I, I know it is. I know it is. I mean, I've been try to get to the bottom of all this from day one. I mean, I love my husband. I wouldn't put my family through this hell. We have a re a, an abundant amount of information that points that you poisoned Frank. I didn't poison my husband. I mean, I am willing to take a lie detector test. I did not poison my husband. My husband was sent to me by God. Yeah, we had pro you know, financial problems, which caused an emotional kind of craziness about it. But you know what? That's common. What if I was to tell you, with all the information that we've accumulated, that we can pretty much prove that you did? We need the truth. We've got to have the truth, Angelina. I did not kill my husband. I didn't. Only you had the means, the means to do it, the motive to do it, and the ability to do it. I did not kill my husband. I'm going to tell you, we don't believe you. Oh, God. We don't believe you. Okay. Okay. You can stand up. Are you arresting me? You under yes, you are under arrest. Are you under arrest? District attorney's office feels different, and so do we. What do I do with my daughter? Oh, God, please, I didn't kill my husband, I swear. Officers informed Angelina that they never believed her claims that Chad had killed her husband. They had suspected her all along, and any attempts to obtain evidence against Chad were actually attempts to obtain evidence against herself. They pretended to believe her story about Angelgate. As a ruse, detectives had told Angelina they needed to know what the poison given to Frank was. When she told them she received an anonymous call incriminating Chad, she had actually just been giving detectives the information they needed to perform the correct toxicology tests. Telephone records showed that Angelina hadn't received any phone call on the day in question, and Sergeant Holmes knew this. When he told her he needed to get to his office and he'd call her right back, he was actually doing that so he was able to record the entire conversation for evidence. When officers spoke to Chad before he'd called Angelina, they only did so to gain his cooperation. He was never a suspect. 
They also recorded all of the conversations between him and Angelina. So when she said Chad had confessed, quote, well, they'll never be able to catch me anyway. You better watch your back, unquote. Officers knew this had been a complete fabrication. Another part of the ruse to help build evidence against Angelina was when detectives told her they needed evidence that Chad knew Frank was going to be at Angelgate. Her subsequent actions, sending anonymous faxes and letters, only helped to incriminate herself. Whilst officers were searching the house after Angelina's arrest, they came across a napkin with the sheriff's fax number on, which is significant because of the anonymous fax that was sent to the sheriff. Officers found a purse that contained a fax confirmation sheet, kind of like a receipt, as well as the original copy of the fax. However, on the original copy, the handwritten name F. Rodriguez was in red. Forensic investigators examined this and found that it was indeed an original. However, an Angel Gate Academy administrator stated that the school district would not usually provide the academy with the names of teachers who were merely accompanying the students in a chaperone capacity. The administrator also said that the printed document would not usually include a handwritten name. There was also a purse that contained a piece of paper with numbers and calculations, apparently working out how she would spend the expected insurance money. The first time detectives thought that Angelina may be responsible for Frank's death came just hours after he had died. At 10.17am that morning, Angelina had called West Covina Insurance Company and left a message for Frank's life insurance agent to call her back. When the agent returned her call, Angelina reported Frank's death and asked when she should expect the $250,000 payout. The agent told her that because the death had occurred within the first two years of issuing the policy, the company would need to investigate to determine if the claim was legitimate. They also needed the official death certificate and they needed it to show the cause of death and then it would take between four to six weeks to process. That's why Angelina was so keen to get a second autopsy to determine that Frank had been poisoned. Angelina asked the insurance agent to verify to a real estate agent that the funds would be available shortly so that she could buy a house. However, the insurance agent declined to do so as there was no guarantee of when they would be able to pay out. Angelina then proceeded to badger detectives for the cause of death over the coming weeks and months. Sergeant Holmes said, quote, I knew that she was calling every day and every single conversation was regarding financial, getting money to make it, and she wanted the coroner's office to come back as soon as possible with a cause of death so that she could be financially better off, unquote. She told them she needed to know so that she could get the payout on the policy or she would have to sleep in her car. Just a few days after Frank died, Angelina called Detective Wilsey and asked about the coroner's office and how it would dispose of the body, 
Detective Wilsey told Angelina that at this point, the coroner had not determined the cause of death, so it wouldn't be any time soon. During this conversation, the detective was struck by Angelina's lack of emotion. Detectives had also been given some damning information from the medical examiner's autopsy report. Samples from Frank's body contained five and six times as much of ethylene glycol as is needed to kill. This meant that Frank would have had to receive the fatal dose within 24 hours before his death and most likely within six to seven hours. Detectives had also reviewed Frank's medical records, including details of his records from the hospital visit on the 7th of September, just two days before he died. Those records showed that Frank could not have had the ethylene glycol his body later contained in his system at that time. Frank's system thereafter was also consistent with oleander poisoning. That meant Frank must have last ingested oleander within 24 hours before his death. The oleander plant that was suspected of being given to Frank sat right outside the front of Angelina's home. It was confirmed that oleander could be served in tea or strong-tasting liquids to disguise its bitter taste, much like the antifreeze having a sweet taste and being able to be disguised in strong-tasting liquids like Gatorade. It was also revealed at trial that then nine-year-old Autumn had given a statement on the day her mother was arrested, telling officers that there was a special bottle of Gatorade for Frank and she wasn't allowed to have any. Angelina then asked her to help feed Frank the Gatorade. She then added that on the night Frank died, her mother had made Frank drink a whole bottle of red Gatorade and said Autumn couldn't have any, quote, because money was so tight and we needed the Gatorade for him, unquote. At the trial, more chilling information came out about the weeks and months leading up to Frank's death. Towards the end of July, Angelina spoke to her friend Palmyra Gorham on the phone. Palmyra heard a blender in the background of the call, and when she asked what Angelina was doing, she said she was making Frank a special milkshake. It's now thought that that milkshake contains some form of poison. Palmyra knew Angelina made milkshakes for Frank when he was unwell, so asked if he was sick. To which Angelina replied, quote, not yet. Records from Southern California Gas Company also showed that on the 3rd of September, the gas leak that Frank had reported and had been attended to by service technician Louis, who had noticed that one of the two gas leaks, which was behind the clothes dryer, was very loose and it would not have happened on its own. If Frank hadn't smelt the gas and notified the gas company, or if he'd have been asleep, he would have died. In July of 2000, just two months before Frank died, Angelina took out the $250,000 life insurance policy. Angelina testified that she had just responded to a direct mailing advertisement and thought it would be a good idea. 
when Frank asked why Angelina felt they needed insurance, especially given that they were already covered at work and through the National Guard, Angelina explained the benefits of life insurance and why they needed it. Frank did still hesitate, but eventually agreed. The couple also discussed insuring Angelina's life for $50,000, but that policy was never actually filed. Angelina's friend Palmyra testified that after Angelina married Frank, she would come to visit her and speak of how unhappy she was. Palmyra jokingly asked, quote, Why don't you divorce this one like you divorced all your other ones? Unquote. To which Angelina said, quote, No, this one has got a life insurance policy and that might be worth my time to do that. Unquote. She even said, quote, If I were to kill him, at least I'd end up with a little bit of money, unquote. Within that conversation, Palmyra's mother came into the room and joined in the conversation. She told them a story about a woman who had tried to kill her husband by giving him oleander tea. At the time, Palmyra didn't take the conversation seriously. However, a day or so later, with that on her mind... She and her boyfriend spoke to Angelina about her frustration with the neighbour's dog who had been bitten by her son. She said the police weren't going to do anything and her boyfriend said, quote, we could just soak some hot dogs in antifreeze and throw it over the fence, unquote. When Angelina asked why, Palmyra said, quote, we had seen something on TV that antifreeze has like kind of a sweet taste and it's really colourful so it's like bright pink or green, and that children and animals, they would drink it without thinking twice. Unquote. Another piece of evidence presented was the affair between Angelina and Palmyra's nephew, Laurent. Laurent testified that about a week before Frank's death, Angelina told him she had left some kind of gas on in the garage in Montebello so that Frank would die. She said that, quote, either there would be some kind of explosion in the house or he would go in there and pass out, unquote. Officers asked Loran why he hadn't told investigators earlier and he told them he didn't want to get involved. In March 2001, whilst Angelina was in jail awaiting her trial, she called Palmyra and told her she needed to not testify. She said that based on what Palmyra had told investigators so far, she could be considered an accomplice in this case and that she could be arrested if she didn't change her story. Palmyra asked, quote, isn't that just going to make me look worse? Unquote. To which Angelina argued that people retract statements all the time. She added that Palmyra could just say she had found Angelina with her boyfriend and that would be enough for her to snap and make it all up. She also said, quote, This is getting bigger than anybody can imagine and it doesn't need to be. Do you see what I'm saying? You knew what I was doing and you didn't stop me. Unquote. When Palmyra refused to change her statement, Angelina decided she would deal with things herself. 
just over a year later, in May of 2002, Angelina tried to solicit Gwendolyn Hall, who was a fellow inmate, to arrange Palmyra's murder once she was released. She offered to pay her $20,000 at first and then increased that offer to $30,000. Gwendolyn agreed to an undercover recording conversation between herself and Angelina. In one of the tapes, Angelina told Gwendolyn, quote, they could do it one of two ways. They could do it robbery gone bad or they can make it look like a boyfriend gone mad, unquote. She then proceeded to give Gwendolyn Palmyra's address and directions to her home. Gwendolyn asked how she would be paid and Angelina replied, quote, This is one thing I'm trying to figure out, the best way to, you know, to transport or transfer it because I don't want it to look all of a sudden 25 grand is out of my account, unquote. She did suggest that she was thinking about going to Las Vegas because that would be a believable cover-up. She also gave a number of other options. Quote, The house is so old that if it blew up from a gas leak or something, it wouldn't surprise anybody. For somebody to go in and shoot them in the head while they're sleeping would not be surprising. And a pillow could be used to muffle the sound. Unquote. She added that there was an alley behind the house and they could use it to get away. The pair agreed that when the job was done, Gwendolyn should send Angelina a quote, little girl card, signed, happy birthday, love cuz, with misspelling so that the message would be clear. Angelina later asked Gwendolyn if, quote, these guys would be bright enough to figure out how to make it look like suicide. She discussed other ways to kill Palmyra, including an overdose, using cyanide or a gunshot wound that would look self-inflicted. When discussing details, Angelina suggested they should go to Palmyra's house in the morning and wait for her to take the kids to school. Then they could be sure she was on her own when she returned. The detective leading the solicitation investigation had been informed that Angelina had asked more than just Gwendolyn to kill Palmyra. Because of this, in May of 2002, he asked Gwendolyn to convince Angelina that the murder had actually been done. The detective gave Gwendolyn the false name of Antonio Davis as the middleman, and that same day, Angelina sent $60 from her jail account to this Antonio Davis. The pretend murder scheme was elaborate, and with Palmyra's cooperation, the lead detective got her to have a fake gunshot wound with fake blood painted onto her head. They took pictures of her playing dead as proof of the murder, and another detective posed as the fake hitman Antonio Davis, He went to speak with Angelina in prison in June of 2002. The meeting was videotaped and saw the undercover detective sat behind the glass window and speak through the jail phone. The pair also wrote notes to each other because they knew the conversation could be monitored through the jail phone. 
The undercover detective then showed Angelina two photographs of Palmyra's fake murder pictures. He then held up a note that said, quote, How do you want to take care of it? These guys are asking about the money. Unquote. Angelina replied by note, quote, I thought Gwen stopped it. My star witness, best friend of six years. This is what I told her. When out, as soon as insurance in, about 45 days I give to Gwen. I think that's about as long as it takes. It's up to how long insurance takes. Unquote. After the conversation, as Angelina was taken back to the main area of the jail, she was searched and the notes were seized, as well as an address book with Antonio Davis's details in. The investigation was complete and detectives had more than enough evidence to prove Angelina's intent to solicit to murder and her ability to make phone calls to commit criminal activities from within prison. The Superior Court issued orders terminating Angelina's phone privileges and ordered the Sheriff's Department to monitor her visits. It was eventually decided that Angelina could talk to her attorney on the phone, but only specifically on Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays between 6 and 8pm. There's one more twist in this horrific case and it's something that investigators discovered just after Angelina's arrest. Whilst searching Angelina's house following her arrest, detectives found a copy of Dr. Naus's report on the likelihood of the pacifier failure and subsequent accidental choking death of baby Alicia, Angelina's youngest daughter. The report contained the results of Dr. Naus's examination and found that in 1994, Angelina's attorney had asked Dr. Naus to examine the two pieces of the pacifier. Dr. Naus described the two pieces he examined, quote, A pacifier is typically made up of what one calls the shield, which is the hard part that stays in the front of the mouth, then something some people refer to as the baglet or the nipple, which is in the baby's mouth, and the nipple is characteristically made out of a natural, clear-looking rubber. And in this case, the nipple part had broken off away from the hard part, close to the shield. Unquote. He noted that specifically, the separated nipple had broken off or torn off from the part of the nipple that remained attached to the shield. Dr. Naus added that the fracture between the two pieces could not have been caused by a baby chewing through the pacifier or the reapered sucking action. He based that opinion on the tear pattern, the amount of force needed, and the fact that the tear was near the shield rather than on the nipple part a baby would actually touch. Dr. Naus added that, based on his visual and microscopic examination of the pacifier, he believed that the reason for the failure was from the use of some external trauma or tool. Quote, It might happen when a chair or some other hard object rolls over the pacifier like this. That might be the cause. Unquote. Court records state that a tool such as pliers could also have caused the tear. 
quote, The ultimate failure, as it now appears and documented in these photographs, is not consistent with that scenario. Unquote. Dr. Naus's results were never presented to the manufacturer Gerber, and they did pay the $710,000 settlement. On further investigation, the firefighter who initially responded to the emergency call stated that he had been surprised to meet Angelina outside because Alicia was in her crib. Quote, Where a child or infant is choking, the parents are with the child. Unquote. The murder theory was backed up further when it was discovered that about two months before Alicia died, Angelina had taken out a $50,000 life insurance on the baby without telling her then-husband Tom and named only herself as the primary beneficiary. And in October of 1993, the insurance company paid Angelina $50,000 plus interest. Angelina used the money from the life insurance and manufacturer payout to buy a new house, a boat and a car. Angelina was the only adult in the house when the incident happened and after Alicia had died, her main focus was suing the manufacturer. After this discovery years later, Angelina's ex-husband and Alicia's father said, quote, There's times when all I want to do is see her dead. Then there are times I'm just not 100% sold on it. And then maybe I'm in denial that I could marry someone who could have done something like that. Unquote. There was a huge amount of evidence against Angelina. Dr. Naus's opinion was especially credible, given that the defendant herself had retained him to provide an opinion. Quote, The foregoing evidence was sufficient to allow a rational trier of fact to determine beyond a reasonable doubt that defendant murdered her daughter, adding that it was not feasible for a 13-month-old infant with two teeth to have sucked the pacifier apart if it was otherwise intact. The evidence was clear, but a long time had passed since Alicia's death so it was going to be difficult to convince a jury. A psychiatrist, Dr Vickery, testified about Angelina's mental state. He believed the sexual abuse she had suffered as a child had had a major negative impact on her. He also testified that he had found Angelina to be, quote, the most emotional and most animated when she was talking about her children. She said in all her life... None of her relationships had ever worked and that she had only had two happy experiences, the birth of her two little girls, unquote. Witnesses testified that Angelina was a very attentive, loving, supportive mother. Dr Vickery concluded that Angelina, quote, would be a model prisoner who would get along with the guards and the other prisoners in the institution, unquote. Angelina's mother Anita and older sister Gigiana also testified about Angelina's awful childhood and sexual molestation. Both Anita and Gigiana then asked the jury to spare Angelina's life 
so that they could continue to have a relationship with her. Angelina's older daughter, Autumn, testified, quote, I would like it for you to not execute and make it so I can see her, unquote. The court, however, said, quote, How do you square what the doctor has said, Dr Vickery's report, where he says the defendant does have remorse for the murder of her husband? There's been no indication of remorse at all during the trial, and in fact, it's hard to believe that there would be any remorse. He was only married for a few months when she created the circumstances under which he received a $250,000 life insurance policy with her as a beneficiary. And two months after that, Roughly attempts to kill him through the use of loosening the gas connection, which also endangered not only her husband, but also the community around her husband in the event that there had been an explosion. Then attempting to poison him with oleander poisoning and on the failure of that a week later, poisoning him for a long period of time with antifreeze. And I have to say it is the coldest killing I have ever seen. Most of the murders and most of the cases we have are murder cases in this court. Over the past 20 years, I've never seen a colder heart. She seemed to have no care for the agony that she put her husband through and the sole goal being to make a profit in his death. So I don't see how the doctor's opinion squares with any of the evidence that I've seen throughout this trial. Angelina was convicted of first-degree murder with the special circumstances of murder by administering poison and murder for financial gain. She was also found guilty of attempting to dissuade a witness. On the 12th of January 2004, Angelina was sentenced to death. Ultimately, Angelina's greed and need for more and more led to her capture. Homicide detective Brian Steinwand said, quote, We might never have solved the case if she wasn't talking. Red Rum is written and presented by Grace Cordell. It's produced by Russ Clark and Grace Cordell. Music and sound design by Russ Clark. Title music by Benjamin James.